Welcome to Just Thinking with hosts Dara Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What up, Virgil? What's going on out there in Cornhuskerville? Man, see, we we were cool till you said Cornhuskerville, man. I I could deal with I could deal with Nebraska. I could deal with Omaheese, but Cornhusker, man, nah, bro. <laughs> I don't even get down like that. I'm still a part of Sooner Nation, so that's not even working over here, man. Man, about a wait a minute. When does the season kick off for you guys? We will kick off the very beginning of September, man. The first Saturday in September. So you got a cupcake game. We do. We got three cupcake games. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's going to be different out here for me, man. College football season is going to be different out here. You know, I'm on the West Coast. This is my first college football season not being in Georgia. So I don't even know what kind of games we're going to get out here in California. Yeah. Now, how, but, is, that, uh, how is that going to be to follow the, the – because you follow the Georgia – was it the – Well, uh, I'm Yelchak? an ACC. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm an ACC guy first. Gotcha, so I'm, first gotcha. of all, a Georgia Tech fan. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, second of all, you know, second behind that, I follow the University of Georgia, UGA Bulldogs, unless they're playing Georgia Tech. Right. Which is the, the last game of the season. Uh, but, yeah, out here I have the SEC Network, ACC Network, so I'm set from a direct TV standpoint. Oh, so, nice work. Nice. You know, I'll be able to get some games out here, but it's going to be different for me, man, because here in California I'm sure they're going to feature the West Coast, re- the regional teams that are out right. here, USC, UCLA. Right. Uh, teams uh, such as those. So it's going to be a little bit different, but I'm just a college football fan. So no if, the game, if a game is on, I'm watching it. Right, right, yeah, right. If a game is on, I'm going to watch it. So, Right. You're going you're gonna to sport your, your colors and, and, and your team jerseys and all yeah, that. Yeah, and you know you got NFL kicking off right after that. So, oh, yeah. you know, when I moved out here, I brought all eight of my Atlanta Falcons jerseys with me. <laughs> now – I won't get many Falcons games out here in this area right. of the country. I understand that, especially with this whole brouhaha that DirecTV has going on with NFL Network, which I hope they get that straightened out. Right, right. But, yeah, I brought my my Falcons jerseys are here, man. And, by the way, they're all authentic jerseys, okay? Nice. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't expect anything else. I mean, none, none of those imposter types. Right. No, 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 no. Uh, that's, so, not how yeah. you, that's not how you roll. Yeah, that, that's, that's not how I roll, man. I, oh, speaking of rolling. I know you preached at Westside Baptist Church today where you where you attend uh, and you're very active there. I, I know yes. you preached today. Yes, sir. And you actually stuck to the text. I actually no, stuck to it. No nuance. No, no nuance. Necessary. No nuance. The text was actually sufficient. The text man. was enough. <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. It was unbelievable. That you preached man. an entire sermon, an expository sermon. An expository sermon, yes. No nuance needed. No nuance. No nuance needed, man. No the nuance text, needed. The text did it did enough. The text yes, was enough. Did. The text itself did the job. Uh-huh. It was. Well, I had a great time, man. I had a, I really enjoyed my time, man. Enjoyed unpacking. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Omaha, when that sermon is available online, please send me the link. We need to get that out into the social media sphere. Yeah. Into the interwebs everywhere. <laughs> This is unbelievable. That's got to be a first. That's got to be a first. Sermon, no nuance. I'm, I'm, that's got to be a first, man. 
Wow. Wow. Right. Yeah. It was good, man. We had a great time. I enjoyed it, man. Well, God bless you, brother. I was, uh, I was happy to hear that that went well Yes. uh, today. And uh, yeah, so we're talking about football. We're talking about uh, how, how things went there at your church today with Mm -hmm. you preaching uh, on a a, a non-nuanced sermon and sticking to the text and everything. But I got to be honest, man, the, 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 as lighthearted as we kind of treated that here a second ago, we got a really, really, really heavy topic. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. It, it's it's interesting, even again, with all the stuff that took place this week and uh, the busyness of the schedule and, and all of that, man, it, the, uh, the we, we kind of chopped it up last episode, kind of teed it up last episode. And we had some we had some pretty gripping, tragic events that took place here in my neck of the woods as well, which I'm sure we'll get into. But you're right. It's a it's a sober topic. It lets you understand and know the the fragileness of life and uh and and the reality of of death um that 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 encompasses it so yeah it was uh it was an incredible week man of ups and downs highs and lows and uh and and definitely a reminder of those things that are most important in life that's for sure very true brother and uh i'm just going to go ahead and admit to our listeners and i mentioned this to omaha off the air i'm feeling really weighty i mean i'm really feeling burdened by mm. this topic uh today because there's so many layers to the subject matter that we're going to be dealing with today. And as you just alluded to, uh, Virgil, in last week's episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, which we titled One Church, One Body. And I hope you folks have listened to that one. If you have not listened to it, please, I encourage you to go check it out and mm-hmm. share it with other folks that you know. But last week in that episode, we alluded to the mass shooting incidents that occurred recently in our nation. One at a Walmart store in El Paso, Texas, and the other in downtown Dayton, Ohio. And at the opening of that episode last week, we took a few moments to offer our condolences to the families of the victims of those shootings. Mm -hmm. And we prayed that God in his infinite grace and mercy would use those incidents to turn to him in faith, the hearts of anyone affected by those events who do not yet know Christ as savior. So we did take some time to, offer those condolences and condolences and prayers uh, to the families of those victims. And we offer that prayer for them in light of these words from the apostle Paul in second Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four. Mm-hmm. Paul says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort mm-hmm. who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's good. Oh, some comforting words. And, mm-hmm. uh, and with that said, as a bit of background for our listeners, we landed on the topic we're discussing today. As I was speaking last week with a brother, I work with at grace to you about the episode we released last week on one church, one body. Mm-hmm. And this brother suggested to me that it might be helpful and edifying to our listeners if we would dedicate an episode of the podcast to the shootings that occurred recently. And after some prayerful consideration, I agreed to do that. Wow. Now, as an aside, and before we dive into the topic for today, we know from some of the podcast data that we have access to that we have about 200 or so listeners in the El Paso, Texas area. Oh, wow. And we have more than a thousand listeners in Dayton, in the Dayton, Ohio area. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're from either of those areas, please know that Virgil and I continue to pray for you and your respective communities, Mm -hmm. as I'm sure many of our other listeners 
are doing as well. Uh, any thoughts you want to add, uh, Omaha? Yeah, man. I, I just want to echo kind of what you said, that that uh, our hearts are with those who have lost family uh, and with those who are hurting. I, I appreciate the fact, man, you just went to the Texas Scripture and unpacked uh, what you did with regard to comfort, man, that that's so important uh, that, that we that we anchor what we're walking through, not from an emotional standpoint, but from a biblical mm-hmm. standpoint. I think that's mm-hmm. really important. But anytime the news lights up tragedies like this, you're reminded of the value of of the life that God has given us and, and how quickly, uh, though we think that sometimes this can never happen, but how quickly in an instant life can be over. Mm-hmm. And one of the things uh, that amplified this truth to me was that, and I, sh- I shared with you, uh, I think last week sometime, that one of our church families uh, had, had gotten into a, an automobile accident. And as a result of the vehicle accident, uh, two, the, two of the children that were involved uh, lost their lives. So mm-hmm. there was an entire family that was wow. you know, involved in, in the accident. Uh, the, the parents would wake up. Uh, only to find that that two of their three children uh, were, were tragically lost lost their lives uh, in the accident. Now, the tragic loss of life has 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 way in in ways has knitted our hearts uh, together uh, from a mm-hmm. standpoint of the pain that's experienced uh, here locally. But it also, man, has served as a reminder. I, I was was sharing with you as we were teeing things up tonight. A lot of times when you see news uh, of tragic events, whether it's Dayton, uh, whether it's El Paso. Those incidents are are far away, and, and mm-hmm. though you recognize, man, that's that's sad that that happened. Uh, you're you're distanced from it to a degree, and so right. with the tragedy that took place here in in Omaha with our own church family, it, it actually reminded me of the reality of the pain that those who are in those spaces and places. Uh, are, are going to feel as they uh, walk through, uh, you know, funerals and, and mm-hmm. think about the fact that they're waking up without loved ones in their home. And so, mm-hmm. uh, again, while, while the circumstances, again, with with what we experienced and then those folks there experienced are, are different, uh, they they and they in some ways are very very similar. I'm just I'm really glad, man, that you made a decision to go this direction and and, uh, and take on this topic. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, Omaha. And uh, wow, I, you know, you sent me a link to an article in your local uh, mm-hmm. uh, news media there, uh, and I read the details of the uh, the uh, car accident that took the lives of those two children. And mm-hmm. uh, we obviously want to add that family to our uh, prayer uh, prayer list as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, with what you just said as background, uh, specifically with respect to the shootings that happened in El Paso and in Dayton. Mm-hmm. At last check, I believe the death toll in the El Paso shooting had risen to 22. Wow. With reportedly more than two dozen people injured. Um, in the El Paso shooting, the suspected gunman, a 21-year-old man by the name of Patrick Crucius, has been charged with capital murder and is being held without bond, according to the El Paso County District Attorney's Office. Now, conversely, in the incident in Dayton, Ohio, nine people have reportedly been killed, including the suspected shooter and another 27 people injured. And, you know, it's incidents like the, like these, uh, these mass shootings that tend to recall to my mind, Omaha, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. And that's Ecclesiastes seven, verse 14, Ecclesiastes seven, 14 says in the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity, Consider that the Lord has made the one as well as the other. Mm. 
That's Ecclesiastes seven fourteen. I'll read it again because something's uh, someone out there may this may be very very helpful to someone yeah. regardless of what you're going through. Mm-hmm. In the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity, consider that the Lord has made the one as well as the other. Mm-hmm. Now these are indeed days of adversity for the families and friends of the victims of these shootings. But the primary reason I cited Ecclesiastes seven fourteen is because what is often lost in conversations and discussions that take place subsequent to these kinds of events, even among profession, professing rather evangelicals, even among those who are within the church, mm-hmm. what's often lost in these conversations is the sovereignty of an omniscient and all-powerful God in allowing such egregiously evil events to occur. Yeah. But we see in Scripture, in Lamentations 3.38, for example, it reads, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Mm. And yet we know from Romans 8.28 that the same sovereign, omniscient, and omnipotent God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, mm-hmm. to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I have to believe that believers who do not hold to a theology of the sovereignty of God and all things that occur in the world tend to struggle to believe those words of Paul in Romans 8.28, particularly in light of such events as mass murders. Mm-hmm. And I would humbly encourage those people to listen to these words from the Puritan theologian Ralph Vining. Ralph Vining, in his book, The Sinfulness of Sin, reminds us that, quote, God is holy without spot or blemish or any such thing, without any wrinkle or anything like it as they also that are in Christ shall one day be according to Ephesians 5 27. Mm-hmm. He that is God is so holy that he cannot sin himself nor be the cause or author of sin in another. He does not command sin to be committed for to do so would be to cross his nature and will nor does he approve of any man's sin when it is committed, but hates it with a perfect hatred. Mm. He is without iniquity and of purer eyes than to behold or approve of iniquity, unquote. Mm. That's from Ralph Vining from his book, The Sinfulness of Sin. Now, I'm going to revisit this matter of the sovereignty of God over the evil that exists in the world a bit later in this episode. But suffice it to say, I find it interesting, Omaha, how news of mass shootings like the one we're discussing today has the effect of instantly transforming us from a collective society of sociologists, psychologists, anthropologists to a collective of theologians. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that prior to, quote unquote, breaking news Mm -hmm. of such incidents as what happened in both El Paso and Dayton, we as individuals within the society tend to exist in our own little bubbles and silos Mm -hmm. going about our own lives and caring only about ourselves and those who matter most to us. Mm -hmm. But when a mass shooting occurs, our focus suddenly shifts from looking to ourselves to looking to God for guidance and direction about why people commit the kind of evil that is committed in the world and why God allows it to occur. Right, 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 right. That's good. It was the same when 9-11 occurred. Mm -hmm. You know, subsequent to the terrorist attacks on that day, 
people of every religious persuasion imaginable were filling churches, synagogues, temples, and mosques in search of the answer to one question. And that one question was, why? Why did this happen? Or to be even more specific, why did God allow this to happen? And I say that parenthetically, whoever their God happens to be, right? Mm -hmm. So they're Mm -hmm. asking, why did God allow this to happen? And why is that? Why is it that certain events that we would describe as tragic, Mm -hmm. terrible, or unfortunate tend to compel us as if instinctively to seek answers to these questions from outside of ourselves as opposed to from within ourselves. Mm. Now, to be sure, there are those who are convinced that the answer to the question of why can, in fact, be found by looking within ourselves, being convinced that the factors and influences that contribute to such events are cultural and environmental and consequently can be remedied by society simply finding and making the quote-unquote right cultural and environmental adjustments. Right. But these mass shootings have occurred often enough that people's reactions to them have become almost predictable. Mm. I found that to be especially the case with individuals who take to social media to argue about whose fault it is that the shootings happened in the first place and who should be blamed for them. Now, I want to pause here for a moment and say that in, in discussing these shootings, It is not our intent to politicize these events or point fingers at particular individuals or organizations as many people have already done and are now continuing to do. Mm -hmm. If my math is correct, okay, there are a combined 31 funerals that are in the process of being planned and carried out in El Paso Paso and Dayton. Mm Mm-hmm. So now is not the time to interject personal agendas or politics into this conversation. And I'm not sure that there is ever a time for that in situations like this. And having said that, I want to take this opportunity to remind our listeners that the mission statement of the Just Thinking podcast is to apply biblical truth to the social, political, cultural, and theological issues in our world. And we intend to stay true to that mission during this episode, just as we have endeavored to do in the nearly 90 episodes we've produced since launching this podcast in December of 2017. Yeah. So again, far be it from you and me, Omaha, to politicize or discuss this issue within the framework of a personal agenda. Mm-hmm. As is usual, when we get behind the microphone to record these episodes on Sunday afternoons at four o'clock Pacific time, mm-hmm. our goal is to look to the objective, inspired, inerrant and infallible word of God for wisdom and discernment about these issues, not to offer our own subjective opinions. Yeah. Okay. Any thoughts you want to add, bro? No, man, you said a lot in that, that section of commentary and the first of which, man, I want to kind of go, go back to, and, and, and would, and would love to interact with you about this in particular, because man, I think, I think you asked a, an important question when you talked about the idea of why, when, when when we've wanted to live in an autonomous way, when we've wanted to have things our way, when we've determined we have all the answers and that mm-hmm. there's no need for God, mm-hmm. when when tragedies like this strike, then we want to in turn not look into ourselves, but then turn around and blame God for what took place. Mm-hmm. And we're we're trying to uh, grapple with with what happened, with why it happened, and and really what what that what that does. In, in my estimation, would love to get your feedback on it. It just exposes the, the, the lack of 
of biblical worldview, the lack of worldview or, or the lack mm-hmm. of it. Let me say it this way. The lack of, a, of an answer in the worldview that does not hold uh, to, 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 you know, biblical fidelity to, right. to scripture. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it exposes the fact that they're coming up short. Right. That that, that all all that they're doing in an effort to depend upon the self is lacking because now their their worldview doesn't have it doesn't have it a, a way to explain the evil and the wickedness in the heart of sinful mankind. They don't even have they don't they don't even have those categories. Right. That's so, a great so, point. So none of this actually makes sense to them when they see these kinds of things. So th- they're left. You know, wa- you know, wandering in, in, in kind of uh, there, there's a the philosophers have said it this way that that they're they're standing on you know with their feet firmly planted in midair. Mid-air. You know, yep. mm-hmm. um, there, there's no way for them to grapple with it. I, I I just find that interesting, and it should be telling, and it provides for the believer an an opportunity to provide categories. We have a tendency to get defensive. Well, why? Where was God? Or why wasn't? Mm-hmm. Rather than rather than helping the individual to recognize. That their worldview can't even explain what took place. That's a great point, bro. Does that make sense? That's a, that makes perfect sense. And that, that, that we, makes perfect sense, bro. And that, that we in that space have an opportunity to explain to them why they're upset, mm-hmm. why they're hurt. The reason why they're hurt is because they believe that the human that that humanity that humankind has distinct value, dignity, and worth. Right. right. The reason that they're upset is because there is there is a category called evil. There's mm-hmm. a category called sin. And those things are real. And they're only made. They're only they're only justified in a biblical worldview. That's a brilliant point, Omaha. And I will just want to say as an aside, uh, you know, you talked about opportunity. Right. We have opportunities to uh, engage in that discussion and give those folks categories. Right. But unless we know the word of God for ourselves. Yeah. We're at a loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're at a loss. Yep. I mean, how many of us even would invite opportunities like that for right. fear that we don't know no, what to say? Right, right. I, that's I, a I, shame. That's even, is, I, don't know, I don't know if that's even sadder than the right. folks who have the worldview that you were talking about. Right, right. I, I, absolutely, because we at least, should, we at least should, should have been exposed to enough light to be able to share that with right. someone else. I totally agree. I was th- today, and I mean, this isn't even part of the part of my notes. I'm just kind of kind of thinking through some of this stuff that to, uh, today when I when I had an opportunity to, to, to share and preach a sermon today, I, I went through uh, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 uh, through 20. And, and we talked about the fact that we have a responsibility to to teach others to obey the commands of God. Right. That that's 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 one. Of the, that's a role that we have. And if we if we're not educated in what we believe and why we believe it, we can't we can't teach others to obey any command. I mean, that's yeah. kind of what that's kind of what you you alluded to, that, that we have a responsibility and we're without excuse. I mean, I, I even went on to make that further point. We're without excuse with the access that we have to all kinds of information for the, the, the current day believer to say, you know what, I, I just don't know, or I, I haven't, I, you know, I, I, I've never been taught that, man, you're, you're without excuse. Anyway, let me get back to some of the thoughts pertaining to what you, what you said. I don't want to get too far afield. So I, I, I kind of put some, put some notes together and, and for the benefit of our listeners, I want them to know what my role is uh, as, as we, as we engage in the Just Thinking podcast. My role is to find out if, if Daryl has put together a thought or commentary, my role is to find out either a, what, what Daryl might have missed in thought, which that's rare, or to amplify something that he said. And as, 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 you know, as you kind of walk through, man, and what you, what you shared in commentary, I think you thoroughly covered 
um, where we are at this point in this incredibly sobering uh, topic. And it's kind of difficult for me to add anything <clears throat> in addition to that. But however, there was a there was a text of scripture that you quoted. You quoted uh, uh, Romans chapter eight, verse twenty eight. And so I want to turn there. It, it says, for we know that that uh, that those who love God, all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. And I try whenever I whenever I come up with that particular text to always add to it. Verse twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Come on, bro. And, and, and there's a reason it says this for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Often when that text of scripture is quoted, and I know exactly what you meant, because we, we agree on what, on, 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 on the all things, there's not anything, even we would love to say all things, all these good things, everything good is going to work together. No, not, not, we we like to parse that out. Yeah. We like to parse that out. Yeah. Right. And, and no, all things, even those things that seem tragic, even Mm -hmm. those things that seem horrifying, all things. Why? Because God is indeed sovereign. They're going to work out for our good. And how how do they work out for our good? Because those whom God foreknew, those of us, the elect, those of us, the called, he predestined for the purpose. Those those bad things that happen are being used for the purpose of conforming us into the image of his son, even Mm -hmm. even and especially those things that that are that are painful and hurtful because Christ went through those things that were painful and hurtful as well. I'll, I'll add this and, and then I'll stop. I wanted to just amplify the point you made uh, regarding the 31 funerals that are being planned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and while I, I never want to minimize the circumstance that caused these funerals, every one of us should be saddened by death. We also have to recognize that an estimated 151,000 people die every single day from causes for which most of us are absolutely unaware. Mm-hmm. And death, while tragic, uh, is always a reminder for us of the fall that took place in Genesis chapter 3. Amen. Amen, bro. Right? It, yep. it's, it's, it, in fact, the death, though tragic, is not the worst thing that can happen to us. The worst thing that can happen to us is that we experience death apart from a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen, bro. John, John chapter 17, verse three says this. Now, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Man, I just like to finally I like to point our listeners to a piece that you wrote uh, on the Just Thinking blog. Uh, I believe the article was called Angry at sin. And yes. uh, man, it was an incredible piece that I think, you know, when, where you were when you wrote that, uh, when I when I read it, it just struck me. It just struck a chord. I actually had to stop. It's something that kind of is ingrained on my brain because you talked about the reality of the fact that death is in the world because of sin. And so we need to be angry at sin. And mm-hmm. and, and I, I, I want to point our listeners to that particular article, because I think in light of the tragic events that have taken place over the course of the last week or so, uh, I think they would benefit tremendously from uh, from what you wrote there. And I'll, I'll, I'll end my comments there, buddy. Well, well, thanks a lot, uh, Omaha. I appreciate that. And uh, now that you brought that up, I didn't think about that at all as I was um, working through this topic uh, that we're talking about today uh, throughout this week. Uh, but I'll be sure to link that article mm-hmm. in the episode notes. Uh, so just to give Dwayne a heads up that I'll link that uh, when I get him the episode notes. But uh, thanks for adding that, bro. That was uh, 
That was well said. That was very well said. Mm-hmm. Now, I mentioned earlier that incidents like the ones in El Paso and Dayton have happened often enough that people's reactions have become quite predictable with anger and indignation being the two most frequent reactions that I've personally witnessed. Mm. And with the prevalence of social media and the capacity those platforms have to provide an outlet for making our voices heard within mere seconds of these types of incidents occurring, our reactions to those incidents are not only immediate, but they're often targeted. Mm. Okay. And what I mean by targeted is that many people either want to blame the weapon the assailant used as if the weapon itself possessed the inherent ability to conjure up the intent Mm. to murder multiple people, that the weapon autonomously had the ability to acquire the proper type and requisite amount of ammunition, Mm -hmm. load itself with the ammunition it autonomously acquired, determined and sought out its intended victims, it accurately aimed itself at those intended victims, and independent of any external force whatsoever, pulled its own trigger the requisite number of times so as to inflict the desired amount of damage to its intended victims. <laughs> there are people out there who actually want to blame the weapon for having right. done all that. Right. Okay. On the other hand, there are those who want to blame the politicians, many of whom they themselves helped elect to office for not enacting more laws to restrict or outright prohibit people from being able to access the kinds of weapons used to commit these acts, thinking that such restrictions will result in fewer incidents of mass shootings. Now, I know somebody is already thinking, but it will, Daryl, it will. Well, now, now they, that may or may not be the case. We really can't know that for certain, can we? We'll, mm-hmm. We won't know that until, until we're looking back against history from eternity, and maybe even then we won't know. So we can't know that for sure. In the end, there may very well be fewer incidents of mass shootings, but that doesn't mean there would be fewer people who desire to murder mass numbers of people, which is why assuming that further restricting access to guns, which unarguably is the weapon of choice in the majority of mass murders, guns are, becomes somewhat problematic. I think that assumption becomes somewhat problematic for those who might endorse that particular approach in response to these types of situations. Right. But it's the people who want to blame the weapon or blame politicians for what happened in El Paso and Dayton that I want to ask this question. How does one define mass when it comes to a mass shooting? Mm -hmm. Is there really an objective definition for the term mass murder? Is it more than five people killed? More than 10, 20? What exactly is the body count threshold in terms of referring to these types of incidents as a mass shooting? Now, I ask these questions because to the families of the individuals who were shot to death, it doesn't really matter if their loved one was killed alongside 10, 20, or 30 other people or whether he or she was alone casually. Interestingly, however, as a society, the level of our collective righteous indignation seems to directly correlate to the number of people dead. (laughs) The more deaths there are, the more enraged and outraged we become. 
but it's a kind of selective and compartmentalized indignation because that kind of collective outrage is difficult to come across when it comes to the thousands of unborn children who are murdered legally in this country every single day by abortion. Mm-hmm. You know, comparatively speaking, news of the murders of thousands of innocent unborn children makes us yawn. But the taking of multiple lives with a semi-automatic weapon makes us want to fight, protest, and engage in all manner of remonstrative acts. And on top of it, when we do that, we feel good about ourselves. Mm-hmm. But those people would do well to consider these words from President Dwight D. Eisenhower, who many decades ago said this, quote, he said, we have never stopped sin by passing laws. And in the same way, we are not going to take a great moral ideal and achieve it merely by law, Mm. unquote. Yeah. What you got, Omaha? Well, a couple of thoughts, man. I want to go back to what you talked about earlier, how we either want to blame the uh, the gun itself for having the, uh, the the ability to autonomously act, right? Uh, and and we do that for the purpose of blame. Um, we exactly don't, right. We don't do the same thing for the purpose of ascribing heroism, right? W- what about the time when the gun is used to save life? Oh right? man. What, what what happens when the when the guy who who walks you know into a, a a situation where there is danger and has a weapon and stops someone from 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 engaging in mass murder? Mm-hmm. Do, do we do we say that that the gun is now inherently good? Yeah, I mean, oh man, come on. We we don't we don't do that on the other side. We've at least what we should be is consistent if we're going to operate from that standpoint, right? But see, that goes, if I could just interject real quick, sure, that sure. goes back to the point you made earlier, Omaha, about their worldview. Their their right. worldview is tantamount to having two feet stuck in midair. Right, right, right. When, right. when, that, when your worldview lacks um, um, a, 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 an objective standard of truth, mm-hmm. this is what you get. Right. You get, you get situation ethics. Right, right, right. Which is absolutely. exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. And Sally, this is my thought. The the response to mass shootings in this country have become one gigantically selective virtue signal as protestations are more focused on politicians and the types of guns used rather than mourning the loss of human life. Man, bro, see, now, now you're meddling. Right, 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 right. Now you're getting in people's business. Right, right. This is, oh. I mean, that, that, that's a summary of what you just said. I mean, that, yes. that's a summary of what you just explained. You, you, you just explained that there's two, two, two places of blame, politicians or the type of gun being used. Right. And so that, that's all that's happening. It, it's, a, it's a gigantically selective virtue signal, right? And, and wow. all they're protesting is the, the politicians or the type of gun that's used rather than a real mourning of the loss of human life. The rhetoric around this is always heightened when the age of the victim is younger. And to the point you alluded to earlier, sadly, there's no consistency on the issue when it comes to the murder of the preborn in the womb. Mm-hmm. And while this is hypocritical, we shouldn't be surprised that the world is willing to advocate the murder of innocence on the altar of convenience, while at the same time desiring to remove the basic right to bear arms from law abiding mm-hmm. citizenry. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that, that's what that's what they're advocating. What, yep. the, the, what they're advocating is not simply, hey, you know what? We need to look at this evil and individual who committed this this heinous act of evil. What they're trying to do now is to say, well, we've got it. We've got to, you know, we've got to make laws that take 
these these weapons out of the hands of others, even though some of those people have engaged in acts that have been heroic in nature Mm -hmm. in the effort Mm -hmm. to save lives using Mm -hmm. those same guns. It's just, again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The, The worldview is so discombobulated, it never makes logical sense as a result. You're making way too much sense for these <laughs> folks, Omaha. You really need to tone down the logic. I'm going to dial it back, man. Dial it back a couple of hundred <laughs> degrees. You know, the very real grief these families are feeling and enduring at this moment, and undoubtedly will continue to feel and endure probably for years to come, mm. is not a matter of data or statistics in terms mm. of how many of these types of incidents have occurred using guns or how they could have been prevented through more restrictive legislations. All these families care about right now is that their loved ones are dead. Right. That's all that matters to them now. So whether we're talking about one casualty or 30, the same laws of physics and ballistics apply. A bullet doesn't care who it strikes. Yeah. But the person who fired that bullet does care which is why these types of incidents are the first, they're first and foremost matters of theology, not sociology. Mm. Okay. Now some of our listeners may not be aware of this Omaha, but in the, in the few days following the shootings in El Paso and Dayton, just in a few days after those shootings, there was another mass murder that occurred. Only this one didn't involve guns. Yeah. It happened out here in Orange County, California where reportedly a 30-year-old gang member by the name of Zachary Castaneda mm. stabbed to death four people and seriously wounded two others. Wow. Now, not quite as recently as that, okay, was an incident um, that happened in Tokyo, Japan, three years ago. Mm. In July 2016, a 26-year-old by the name of Satoshi Uematsu stabbed 19 people to death. Nine men and 10 women, their ages, their ages ranging from 18 to 70 years old. Now, it's ironic that such a mass loss of life would occur in Japan because Japan as a nation boasts of some of the most restrictive gun laws in the world. But Satoshi Uematsu didn't use a gun, probably because he couldn't get one, at least not legally. And yet he still managed to murder 19 people. Okay. Now, those stabbed with a knife, those 19 people are just as dead as if they had been shot with a semi-automatic weapon. Yeah, yeah. So in that regard, the type of weapon wielded by Yuimatsu to commit these murders is entirely irrelevant. Now, in mentioning these other incidents of mass murder, the overarching point I'm getting at is this. Do you honestly believe that of the 31 funerals being carried out as we speak, by the families of those who were murdered in El Paso and Dayton. And there may yet be more funerals if any of the other victims happen to not survive their injuries. Do you really think that the collective grief being felt right now by those surviving family members would be any less profound or painful had there been only 14 people murdered Mm. or six or even one? What law could have possibly prevented intent on the part of the murderer? What law could have prevented intent? Right. You know, biblically speaking, it was intent that killed those people. Mm. 
mm-hmm. not the knife or the gun used to carry out the murders. The weapons that were used were merely the means by which those people carried out the murderous desires of their heart. Mm-hmm. Now, I say that on the basis of such texts as James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. James 4, verses 1 and 2. What is the source of your quarrels and conflicts among you, James asked. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Mm. You lust and do not ha- have, so you murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. That's James 4, verses 1 and 2. This is a profound question that James is asking. What is the source of your quarrels and conflicts? Now, Omaha, where does lust occur? Where does envy originate? Where does this war of which James speaks occur? Where does it happen? See, these are exactly the kinds of questions you and I should be asking, Omaha. They are questions that are germane, regardless if we're talking about the physical murders of 30 people or the attitudinal murder we commit when we engage in a dispute with our spouse or our friend. Right. Because the fundamental issue here is not the weapons we use to harm one another, but the sinful motives Mm. and sinful intentions that feed and inspire our actions and behaviors for better or worse. Yeah. That is where we must begin. We must begin with the source of those attitudes. Listen, if scripture teaches us anything about the evil that we see in the world today, it is that these acts are the fruits of the sinful motives and desires that are resident in our heart, regardless of whether that desire is to murder someone, to commit adultery with another person's wife or husband, to cheat on an exam, to steal something that doesn't belong to us, or any other sin you might care to mention. Wow. Now, Jesus made this perfectly clear in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, where he says this. Jesus says, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Mm-hmm. All these evil things, Jesus said. This goes back to your point earlier, uh, Omaha, about categories. Right. People who, who have that mid-air worldview, they don't even use these terms. Right, they don't right. even use terms like evil and sin and the things that Jesus is enumerating here. Jesus says, all these evil things proceed from within Mm -hmm. and defile the man. Mm -hmm. Okay? So it is the heart that is the source of all evil in the world. Guns don't autonomously murder people. Knives don't autonomously stab people to death. Mm -hmm. Those objects are made effectual as deadly weapons by virtue of the evil intentions that reside in the hearts of the people who desire to use those objects to do harm to other people. I mean, it's no different than what happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw mm-hmm. that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. So the word saw, delight, and desirable in that verse in Genesis 3, 6, all point to what were Eve's heart attitudes. Her and subsequently Adam's eating the fruit was merely a response to the desires that were already in their heart. 
Wow. And it's the same with you and me to this very day. Mm. Anything you want to add on Mahal? There was so much in that that was power packed. I I just my 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 hope is that the the listeners are are following the 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 line of thinking, the the biblical uh really exegesis that you're doing uh with regard to the issue of of our heart's condition. And uh man, I as you're reading that I was thinking about the sermon on the mount, you know, where where Jesus looks at the law and then as people say, "Oh, you know what? I, I didn't do that. I didn't do." It. He amplifies it for the purpose of exposing the true wickedness in the heart of mankind. Right. It, it, there's a saying that goes that the heart of the matter is, a, is the matter of the heart. And uh, the truth is that the heart of man is desperately wicked, Scripture says, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, 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 desperately wicked. I, I, just think, I just think you, you nailed it. Whether it's, a, whether it's a knife, a gun, a hammer, a stone, whatever is used, it's irrele- the object is actually irrelevant. Uh, whatever was used to carry out the evil intentions of one's wicked heart is is just an object. The issue is is the issue of the heart. Uh, in the instance, for example, of, of an abortionist, it's it's not the vacuum suction or or curette that that is that, that's used that that is actually the 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 item that that has inherent evil. It's the evil in the heart of the individual, the mom and the doctor who intend harm to a child inside the womb that is at issue. Uh, and in addition, I completely agree. This is agree with you that this is this is not a matter of sociology, or even medical pathology. Rather, it's 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 easily explained in areas of theology, harmardiology, uh, you know, and anthropology. This is an issue of mankind's sinful condition, and uh, and it's an issue of the heart at the end of the day. Amen, brother. Well said again. You know, a few moments ago, I asked the question. What law could possibly prevent intent? Man, listen, I, I want to stop you there because what you just that that question needs to be amplified in the mind of every believer as these questions begin to. Ha- what happens is this conversation takes place at the barber shop, at the at the at the corner store. It takes place at 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 your your office at work when we're talking about these issues and then it quickly changes from how awful the situation was to what should be banned and what politician is to be blamed. And I think the question that you ask here is incredibly important for every believer, especially listeners of the Just Thinking podcast to be armed with. And so I mean, I'm going to I'm going to tell you this walk through that again. Really that was good stuff. So this this is the question of all the questions being asked in light of what happened in El Paso and Dayton. That is the one question. Individuals who are so caught up in targeting their anger and indignation at certain organizations or politicians fail or refuse to ask. Mm-hmm. What law could possibly prevent intent? Mm-hmm. Never do these people pause to consider that the primary issue isn't the weapon. This is exactly what you said earlier, Omaha. The primary issue isn't the weapon the assailant used. It's not the weapon. It's the will. Mm-hmm. It's the will that fed his desire to use the weapon as he did. Look, it all goes back to the text I read earlier from Mark chapter 7. Jesus made it clear. Will, intent, motive, and desire are all matters of the heart. And the heart is where all murder and all sin begins. Okay? Sin may very well culminate in physical or attitudinal murder. 
but it always originates in the heart, which is exactly why I have so often reiterated on this podcast that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, not society. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're reminded of this in Matthew one twenty one, Matthew chapter one, verse 21. It's, it's, it's stunning to me. I'm just going to take a, a, a side step here for a second. Omaha. It's just absolutely stunning to me that we so often have to go back to the fundamentals mm-hmm. of biblical theology, just the fundamentals. The reason that Jesus's name is Jesus in the first place mm-hmm. is because as it says in Matthew one twenty one, you shall call his name Jesus for don't overlook that preposition. That little three word preposition for tells you right then it's a one word mission statement for Jesus. Mm-hmm. This is why Jesus came in the world. And this is why his name is Jesus for he will save his people, not from society. Mm-hmm. He will save his people from their sins. That's why his name is Jesus. First Timothy one fifteen, man, it got me started. We might have to uh, <laughs> cue the mascot up after all. First Timothy one fifteen, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Yes. Listen, we are all sinners, every one of us. Yes, even after we have been regenerated and brought to faith in Jesus Christ, we still sin. Mm-hmm. See First John chapter one verses eight and nine on that one. The fundamental reason, okay, the fundamental reason people commit mass murder is because they are sinners. I mean that in the congenital sense of the word, Mm -hmm. okay? Anything that is congenital to a thing is embedded within the nature of that thing, okay? And sinning is what comes natural to us as fallen human beings. Mm -hmm. It comes natural to us because it is our nature as sinners to sin. Mm -hmm. No amount of man-centered education, incarceration, or indoctrination can or will change that. Wow. Okay? Listen to what Calvin, Calvin comments on this reality. John Calvin, I'm speaking of, John Calvin comments on this reality in his Institutes of the Christian Religion where he says this, quote, if we ask what kind of natural desire for good is found in man, we will discover that it is something he shares with the brute beasts. (laughs) these all desire what is to their advantage. And when they sense something which is likely to benefit them, they go after it. Now, when man is moved by his natural desire, he does not rationally discern what he should seek as the excellence of his immortal nature might allow. There is no real wisdom in the way he thinks about it. Instead, listen to what Calvin says here. Instead, without reason and deliberation, he follows animal-like the promptings of his nature. Mm. Brilliantly said by Calvin. I want to follow that up with something from the book, Suffering in the Sovereignty of God, and the chapter, this is chapter two. Chapter two of Suffering in the Sovereignty of God is entitled, All the Good That is Ours in Christ, colon, seeing God's gracious hand in the hurts others do to us. This was written by Mark Talbot. If you don't have the book Suffering and the Sovereignty of God, it was um, edited, uh, sorry, the forward is done by John Piper, but it's a compilation on the issue of sovereignty, suffering and God's sovereignty by a group 
of uh, writers in there. But Mark Talbot wrote chapter two. And in chapter two, he says this. Listen to this in light of what I just read from Calvin about the nature of mankind. Talbot writes this, quote, sin reigns among all of Adam's descendants because he sinned. Mm. By his disobedience, he brought evil into the hearts of the human race. Except by God's redeeming grace, it now runs through all of us as our primary inclination. Mm-hmm. That's a, that is a point you must understand. Mm-hmm. Talbot says sin now runs through all of us as our primary inclination. Talbot goes on. Every son and daughter of Adam and Eve is now naturally dominated by sin. Their sinful inclinations made them the authors of their own sin. Consequently, they did evil while God did not. For while God sustained them in their sin, he was not its source. Hmm. This is why scripture states that God creates, sins, permits, and even moves others to do evil while never doing evil himself. He creates and sustains sinful persons without himself being the source of their sin. Mm. Talbot finishes with this. God ordains evil by willing that evil persons and things and events and deeds exist and persist. Wow. Unquote. Wow. That was a Mark Talbot in chapter two of suffering and the sovereignty of God. Now, what Talbot is talking about is what is in biblical theology called theodicy. T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y, theodicy. Theodicy deals with the age-old question of how a holy, good, righteous, and just God can allow evil to exist in the world. Now, centuries ago, the Greek philosopher Epicurus wrestled with that very question, and he wrestled with it this way. I'm quoting Epicurus here. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Mm -hmm. Then whence cometh evil? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? Mm -hmm. That was Epicurus from centuries ago. Now, in reflecting on the theodicy of Epicurus, I'm reminded of something that Louis Burkhoff said in his Systematic Theology. I think this is excellent. Mm -hmm. Burkhoff said, quote, The freedom of God is not pure indifference, but rational self-determination. Now, let me pause there for a second. Let me go off script here for a second. Come on. This goes back to your point um, earlier, uh, Omaha, about people just looking to and fro wondering where God was. Right, right, right. They wonder where God was because their God, their God is someone who they see as indifferent. Right. But what happens? It's no different than in our relationships, in our human relationships uh, that we have every day. We want people to care. Mm -hmm. When we sense that someone doesn't care, we we get upset. (laughs) We get offended. Mm -hmm. Our feelings get hurt. We want people to care about what we care about. And it's those same kind of people who uh, Burkhoff is referring to here. These are these are people whose God or or or, or their their view of God is 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 of someone a deity out there who's indifferent. You only need to ask where was God if you're if you have a God who's indifferent. Mm-hmm. When you trust the real God, then you know that God has has ordained this. Mm-hmm. 
So let me finish what Burkhoff is saying. Burkhoff says the freedom of God is not pure indifference, but rational self-determination. God has reasons for willing as he does, which induce him to choose one end rather than another, and one set of means to accomplish one end in preference to others. There is in each case a prevailing motive, which makes the end chosen and the means selected the most pleasing to him, that is to God. God chooses the motives and means that are most pleasing to him. Though we may not, Burkhoff closes with this, he says, though we may not be able to determine what that motive is. I want to repeat that. That's good. The freedom of God is not pure indifference, but rational self-determination. God has reasons for willing as he does, which induce him to choose one end rather than another and one set of means to accomplish one end in preference to others. There is in each case a prevailing motive which makes the end chosen and the means selected the most pleasing to him, though we may not be able to determine what that motive is. Thoughts, Omaha? Man, I <laughs> a number of thoughts. I mean, first of all, you're you're making the case for a sovereign God. Uh, Absolutely. You, exactly. You, Precisely. You're, you're, you're making the case that God is you're, you're making the case for the godness of God. Right. Exactly. And 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 that we we are we're in no position to question God's godness. Uh, the only position we're in is one of of complete observation of that God. And, and and when when we when we are devoid of a worldview that has that level of of understanding of God's sovereignty, we're just tossed to and fro. Mm-hmm. We, we, exactly. we're, just, we're we're with, we're without we're without a way to a way to stand. I immediately, as you were talking, uh, opened up Romans chapter nine. Mm-hmm. Oh and, man, come uh, on! And, and just just began thinking through Paul's argument there in verse fourteen. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Mm-hmm. By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will mm-hmm. have compassion on whom I have compassion. Mm-hmm. So then it depends not on the human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It is God who determines what he will do. I mean, that's 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 exactly what as you as you kind of walking through, uh, you know, the explanation of God's sovereignty. We we have in our current Christian culture, we are so devoid of a of a theology around sovereignty of an understanding of an in-depth understanding of God's sovereignty we definitely amplify man's sovereignty man's freedom of will freedom of choice freedom to do this freedom of that but we and we do so at at the at the uh at the negation of of the sovereignty of God it's we're sovereign God's not right, right? we exactly. we came we came from a we came from a, a a religious tradition both you and i uh coming out of maybe a prosperity related gospel that god was really our our butler yeah right mm-hmm. we 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 kind of told god what we needed what we wanted and and how we wanted it and he had better deliver it and and yeah, he bet he better deliver it when i say deliver it how i say deliver it. right 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 i mean that's that's and and when and when when that kind of teaching, when that kind of thought process permeates Christian culture, we have a warped, an absolutely warped 
view of God. And so I, I just, I'm so thankful, man, that you walked through what you did. I'm going to encourage our listeners to go back, rewind, listen to that. In fact, we were talking uh, before we got on about about Burkoff, and, and, and I've read bits and pieces in here and there, and I probably need to just spend some time just investigating and, and really walking through all of uh, all of his systematic to make sure that, that the things are good. You end up using a lot of system. I do. Let me just right. myself. Yeah. I end up using a lot of systematics like reference tools, right? If, yep. if, a, if there's a subject or topic I'm interested in, oh, let me go grab that. I know this is good. I know that's good. Let me go yep. grab this or that and, and kind of piece things together rather than walking through it in its entirety. So anyway, let me, let me briefly share some comments that I, that I have kind of written written down. It's just that I believe all that you said was was absolutely spot on and true. And I, I see the same issue with regard to uh, issues of the heart in the area of abortion and that people are absolutely evil. Uh, right. I, think, I think there are two areas where we can see the impact of a true hardening of one's heart. One is in the issue that we're discussing, the issue of, of mass murders uh, and, and the issue of, of abortion. The taking of a human life requires a level of hardening that I think we often take for granted. Mm -hmm. We we have a tendency in the abortion arena to think that laws that require cleaner facilities and improved regulations will somehow change hearts. And and to the point that you made earlier, it's only the gospel that has the power to change hearts. Yep. It's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And Christians have to begin by recognizing and being willing and able to declare that gospel and to bring that gospel into conflict with the culture in both the areas of abortion as well as the tragedy of mass murder. And these are the kinds of things that we've witnessed in El Paso and Dayton. That's not at all what we're calling for. That's not at all what's being called for. Uh, all of these regulations are being called for. And mm-hmm. Now, now someone's going to say, you mean to tell me that, you, you know, you don't advocate for laws that require gun safety and that kind of thing. That's that's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we should have we definitely should advocate for laws that keep everybody safe. Right. However, we should never have knee jerk reactions that imply that these laws can deliver what's ultimately desirable, Bingo. which is which is the abdication, the stopping of the intentions of the evil human heart. They're, they're, okay. they're, Vern, ahead, if I could interrupt one second, yeah. brother, I need yeah. you to repeat that last statement because that is huge. Will you please repeat that, brother? So yeah. that it doesn't go over somebody's head, but that is, that is a huge point you right. just made. Yeah, I, I, I said I, I, I don't I don't mean to say that we shouldn't advocate laws that require safety or or checking or anything like that. We need to advocate laws that keep us all safe. However, we should never be involved in knee jerk reactions that imply that these laws can deliver something that they are unable to deliver, which is an impact on the intention of the wicked evil in the human heart. There is no law on the books that will change the human heart and what it desires to do when it has made a decision to murder his or her neighbor. And we need to be honest about that. So when it does happen, when the murder does take place, we rightly blame the murderous heart of the person committing the crime rather than the politician with whom we disagree or the type of gun that is being used in the incident. Bro, that was, I'm sorry, man. That was so nice. I asked you to say that twice, <laughs> but that, that was a point that has to resonate with our listeners. It has mm-hmm. to resonate with our listeners. And, you know, as I'm listening to you there, I'm thinking, see people who think, that laws accomplish what you just laid out. They don't accomplish. Right. Right. 
those people equate they 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 basically equate they sort of have this um it's really non sequitur they think regulation will result in regeneration right man that's good they think they see two they see the two as being tantamount to the same thing right and this was my point earlier about why I think the assumption that uh adding more gun regulation uh uh, will re- will automatically reduce the number of mass murders where guns are used. I think that is a dangerous assumption uh, to make, right? Because in because people who argue that they equate a reduction in the number of these types of incidents as society having gotten better, mm-hmm. society has improved. We're better behaved now. We've matured in our. Um, treatment of one another no 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 that's not the same thing regulation is not regeneration you see and i think it's interesting i think part of the hypocrisy is that you know when when mass murderers unless they take their own lives as some of them have mm-hmm. when, a, when a mass murderer is captured prosecuted and convicted they don't put the gun in jail right they put the person who used the weapon in jail right right right. so if it's the weapon why not prosecute the gun right right don't be facetious here to make a point right because they've argued that it's always the gun when in response to these incidents it's always the gun we need to do something gun safety right Mm-hmm. Gun violence, they say. Gun violence mm-hmm. is what they say. That's mm-hmm. that. The term is is intrinsically non sequitur. Right, 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 right. You know, in the end, what society needs is what it has always needed since Genesis three, mm-hmm. in the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and that is for our hearts to be transformed from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, mm-hmm. as God's word says in Ezekiel chapter thirty six, verses twenty six and twenty seven. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, Mm -hmm. and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. See, uh, laws can't do that. Right. This is what we need, people. And laws can't give you this. Mm -hmm. God says, I will put my spirit within you. And this is what Jesus said earlier in Mark chapter 7 that all these uh, evils that he mentioned in that chapter come from within, Jesus said. There's, there's this word again used in a positive sense. I will put my spirit within you, God says, and cause you to walk in my statues. See, th- this is the problem with people who want to regulate guns. They think regulation will cause people to behave rightly toward one another. Mm-hmm. No, but God is saying here in Ezekiel 36, no, you need my spirit. In order to do that, he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. That's Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is made effectual in our hearts by the power of his Holy Spirit, can give us new hearts and new minds so that we are motivated and inclined to what Paul writes in Romans 12 too, prove what the will of God is, Mm -hmm. that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, 
Omaha, it is both unfortunate and sad that when a mass murder occurs, our society seems to want to look anywhere and to anyone but to the one true God to help us make sense of the evil we see in the world. Mm-hmm. And we do this, right? We do this because in our arrogance and pride, we refuse to see ourselves as the congenital sinners that we are. Right. You know, but behind all our efforts to make ourselves look younger and healthier and smarter is a heart that is an abyss of sinful motives and desires. I want to quote Burkhoff again from his systematic. Burkhoff says this, quote, it is admitted that even the unrenewed possess some virtue, revealing itself in the relations of social life, in many acts and sentiments that deserve the sincere approval and gratitude of their fellow men, and that even meet with the approval of God to a certain extent. At the same time, It is maintained that these same actions and feelings, when considered in relation to God, are radically defective. Their fatal defect is they are not prompted by love to God or by any regard for the will of God as requiring them, unquote. Wow. Following that up, I want to quote from Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon uh, preached a sermon titled Christ set forth as a propitiation. Spurgeon said this in that sermon, quote, true religion is heart work. That's H-E-A-R-T. True religion is heart work, Spurgeon said. We may wash the outside of the cup and the platter as long as we please, but if the inward parts be filthy, we are filthy altogether in the sight of God, for our hearts are more truly ourselves than our hands are. Did you hear that, Omaha? Yeah. Spurgeon said our hearts are more truly ourselves than our hands are. Mm-hmm. The very life of our being lies in the inner nature and hence the imperative need, Spurgeon says, and hence the imperative need of purity within, unquote. Mm-hmm. That was Spurgeon from his sermon, Christ Set Forth as a Propitiation. Thoughts on Mahal? Just, uh, I mean, the tons that you said there. And again, I just want to encourage others to go back to, uh, you know, Burkhoff and some of these other things that, that Daryl is, is quoting from these tremendous resources that we uh, have opportunity to take advantage of if we would just take the time uh, to do the work involved in, in knowing what's there and what's available. But, but I think about, uh, about Philippians uh, chapter 2. Uh, verse 12, as you were talking there, where it says this, therefore, my beloved, as you always have obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, I, I think about the issue of the heart. I think about the, and, and, and we're talking now for the believer, right? I mean, the, the believer yep. needs, to, needs to ensure that they're, that they're walking things out in such a way that, that, that they, they live out the call of God that is indeed on their lives. I mean, every, 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 you know, prison epistle where Paul is, 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 is encouraging believers. He's first telling them who they are in Christ as a result of their salvation, what God intended from before the foundation of the world. Mm-hmm. Now that you know that, live out your life in such a way that is reflective of the call that you've been given heavenward. And so, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that's, that's what, that's what Burkhoff is, is sharing that we, we need to be careful of. That's what Spurgeon is sharing. True religion is heart 
work. That's the mm-hmm. that's the work of the heart that we mm-hmm. may wash the outside of the cup and the and and the platter as long as we please. But if the inward parts be filthy, we are filthy altogether in the sight of God. We don't mm-hmm. desire to be filthy. We, we we're dealing with salvation, the issue of justification. We're we, we're right before God, and as a result of that, right before Godness, if you'll allow me right. to have a yeah. word. We need to be living out lives that are not filthy, that look pure, that look holy, not for the purpose of obtaining salvation, but because we have indeed been saved. Amen, brother. I mean, that's the bottom line. You know, I'm listening to you, Omaha, and I'm I'm sort of desperately crying out to brothers and sisters within the church. Mm-hmm. This is an issue that we're the one we're talking about today with these incidents in El Paso and Dayton, Ohio. This is an issue that begs us to be better theologians. Come on, man. Come on. Where's the, where's the, can somebody strike up the Hammond B3, please? <laughs> Listen, As, I, I, I know, I know this is a, this is a sobering topic, but let me tell right there, brother, brother, right there is where it's, I mean, listen, one of the reasons why we do this show week in, week out, Topic after topic, Daryl, you spend hours putting together the subject matter. You, you, you send me the notes. I spend a few hours walking through trying to accent things. Why do we do this stuff? And we do this because mm-hmm. we care so much about other believers. Not, not definitely not that I'm so smart. I, I, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't claim to be smart or brilliant in any stretch of the imagination. But I, but I have a heart's desire to see other believers have the tools that they need to be able to have conversations about these issues that are in the public square and to be able to do so from a theologically sound and biblical perspective. That's why we do what we do. That's well said, bro. And that's the mission statement. You just basically just summarized the mission statement. You know, and as I said, what I said earlier, I'm literally sitting here at my desk with my hands together as if in prayer, I'm begging all of our brothers and sisters who are listening to this, you have got to become a better theologian. Not that I'm some good theologian myself. We must do this as individual believers in Christ. We owe this to him Amen. to become better theologians. I, mem- I mentioned a term earlier called theodicy. I don't know how many of our listeners have ever heard that term. Well, go ahead and look it up, study it, read everything you can on it. There are countless perspectives Okay, on on the issue of theodicy. So, and, and listen, that would probably take ten episodes, uh, right, <laughs> right, Omaha, right, to, right, to right. talk about that one. That's like talking about the Trinity. You'll right. never do that in one episode. Okay, right. and right. I'm reminded, you know, in my plea to our listeners, I'm just challenging everyone uh, to become a better theologian. I'm reminded of the blog article, my most recent blog article, uh, Omaha, that I titled Six Reasons the Church in America is Becoming Increasingly Impotent," mm-hmm. and I wrote that article based on a tweet that I sent back on May 26th of 2019, where I listed these six reasons. Okay. These six reasons why I believe the church in America is becoming increasingly impotent. I'm going to tie this back to to, uh, my my plea uh, that we become better theologians. Here's where the six reasons, here are the six reasons that I listed in that article. Hermeneutical immaturism, number one. Number two, theological progressivism. Mm -hmm. Number three, soteriological universalism. Number four, ecclesiastical ecumenicism. Number five, pneumatological ventriloquism. And then number six, evangelical evangelical pragmatism. Now, that was a tweet that I sent out of May 26, 2019. Some responses I got complained to me that the words I used were too big. (laughs) 
And I'm like, yeah, those are big words, but all you need to do is cut and paste, put it in your browser, hit enter, and, and then look there. them up. Yeah. Look them up. That was a point of frustration to me because I have to just keep it real with you. I, one, of, one of my pet peeves is laziness. <laughs> I, 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 listen, I have very, very little tolerance for people who are lazy. Mm. Now, yeah, those were big words, but hey, cut and paste. Look the word up. Right, <laughs> right, right. Look it up and understand what it means. Mm-hmm. I ended up taking a month writing an article to explain what those terms were. Right. I, I, I think I'll link that article too in the episode notes. But my yeah. point is this. Be a better theologian. Yeah. We must be better. Listen, you must do more than just read the word of God. You must study it. Amen. And study it and study it and study it. You must study it. Yeah. Okay. Now, one, of the, one of the benefits of us, of us visiting each one of these topics is that you and I both do spend hours studying. We spend hours. We, we listen, spend we spend hours. Spend hours. Right. We spend hours preparing for this what? One to one and a half hour episode each right. week. Right, right. And we're not boasting when we say that. We're not taking no. that a point of pride. Oh. No. But like you said earlier, Omaha, we know listen, this issue of uh mass murders, th- listen, there's more layers to this than just saying, okay, well, what do we do about guns? Right, right, right. Okay, the the average person, the average Christian, and I, I don't I don't say that when I say average, I'm just saying you're everyday Christian. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a condescending condescending kind of way. So please don't send me any tweets or emails on that. <laughs> the the average person would not tie those shootings to an issue of sovereignty of God's sovereignty. Right. The average Christian would not say would not see that this is an issue of the, of the odyssey here. Uh, the average person, when they read the news that these incidents happened in um, El Paso and Dayton, uh, the Greek philosopher Epicurus didn't come to mind. Right, right. But you, this is this is what happens when you when you deliberately uh, when you deliberately desire, okay, to know. Well, what does the Word of God say about this? Right, right. This is what happens. Mm-hmm. You see the role that God's sovereignty plays in this issue. You see where the issue of theodicy could become uh, a factor. You could see uh, the, uh, uh, like you mentioned earlier, hamartia, the doctrine of sin. That's the Greek word for the doctrine of sin. So, so you see all these pieces involved here. So we must become better theologians to the point you made at the top, near the top of the episode, uh, Omaha, so that we can engage people who don't use these categories by using these categories. Right. 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 So back on point, I'm sorry to have gotten on that, that tangent for, for a second, but I thought it was, I just have such a burning desire in my heart mm-hmm. that we all become better theologians. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So get a good study Bible. Mm-hmm. All right. Get a good systematic theology, get Burkhoff, get MacArthur, um, get Grudem, mm-hmm. uh, get uh, any, any more you want to name Omaha right on top. That'll keep that'll keep you busy. Right? Get, get, get John Frame. Get I've got frame. those four. I got Frame. So, yeah. so get Frame, MacArthur, Grudem, um, and uh, Burkhoff. Right. Uh, but get get a systematic theology. Get a Hebrew Greek dictionary, uh, and get to work. Study the Word of God. Okay. All right. Now, 
back on track, uh, just continuing your train of thought earlier, Omaha, whenever a murder occurs, right? So whenever a murder occurs, whether there are a mass of victims or only one, ultimately, and I repeat, ultimately, I want to repeat that for the folks sitting in overflow. (laughs) Ultimately, I didn't say only, I said ultimately, the issue is not the weapon that was used. Mm-hmm. The issue is the intent behind using the weapon in the way it was used. Ultimately, that is the issue, the intent. Regardless if we are talking El Paso, Texas, Dayton, Ohio, or Tokyo, Japan, as believers in Christ, the question we must ask ourselves is not how a person was able to get access to the kind of weapon used in these situations, but why, why these people desired in their hearts to mm-hmm. carry out such acts to begin with? Mm-hmm. That's the question. You know, you'll recall, Omaha, that in December 2015, there was a mass shooting in San Bernardino, California, in which 14 people were killed and 22 people seriously injured. You remember that? Yeah. Two suspects were also killed. Mm-hmm. Now, It was in light of that incident that I wrote an article on my blog at JustThinking.me entitled The Fallacy of Gun Control as a Means of Behavior Change. Yeah, yeah. In that article, I leveraged the account of the murder of Abel by his brother Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read that entire passage. Now, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said... I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Verse 2, again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Verse six. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? Verse seven. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, listen to this. Sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. That was Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 from the non-Armenian Standard Bible translation. Now, in the very next verse, I'm sorry, that was 1 through 7. That was verses 1 through 7. But in the very next verse, verse 8, in the very next verse, Genesis 4, verse 8, after having heard the voice of God speak to him directly, Cain goes out and murders his brother. And with that one anger-driven decision, Cain wipes out 25% of the earth's population. Mm-hmm. Because remember, at that time, there was only Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel. Cain right. just murdered. He just got rid of 25% of the earth's population. Now, why did he do that? He did that because, as God told him, sin was crouching at the door of his heart. Now we see the same attitude in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, where Peter asks Ananias, why has Satan filled 
your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. keep back some of the price of the land. Now, in light of what transpired between Cain and Abel, and given the manner in which some people today go about processing such incidents as what occurred in El Paso and Dayton, the proper response to that Cain and Abel situation would have been for God to rid the earth of whatever object it was that Cain used to kill his brother. It's a great point. Assuming he used an object at all. After all, scripture doesn't tell us how Cain murdered his brother, only that he murdered his brother. For all we know, Cain could have used his bare hands. But for the sake of discussion, let's assume Cain did use an object of some sort, like a rock. Okay? In that situation, there are those today who would place blame on the rock Cain used to murder his brother. Or on Cain's parents, Adam and Eve, for allowing Cain to have access to the rock that he used to kill Abel. Or they would even blame God himself for manufacturing the rock. Cain used to commit the murder of his brother when he created the earth. Now contrast that kind of faulty human reasoning with God's divine wisdom. Now notice in that text in Genesis 4 verses 1 through 8. Now notice in the text that God, though being omniscient and being fully aware of Cain's heart attitude and conversely of his intent to act on that heart attitude, did not explicitly warn Cain against murdering his brother nor did he counsel Cain as to the potential lethal damage a rock could cause if applied maliciously and with force against his brother's skull. Instead, what did God do? God warned Cain about the sinful anger that was welling up in his heart against his brother. He warned him against the sinful emotions that were feeding the actions he was contemplating carrying out against his brother because God understood that it is in the heart that all murder originates. Thoughts on that, Omaha? And a lot of thoughts. One, I love the ground that that you covered. I I, I remember uh, a the the situation in San Bernardino. I also remember uh, walking through the fallacy of gun control as a means of behavior change. And one of the one of the texts of scripture that you quoted uh, in that particular article is Mark, and you 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 mentioned it earlier in uh, in our time together tonight, which is Mark chapter seven verses twenty through twenty three. But as I think about this, this text of scripture says this, and he, Jesus saying that which proceeds out of the man is that what is that what defiles the man Mm -hmm. from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things proceed from within and defile the man you would think if you listen to the pundits to the advocates of of, uh, of of you know gun control and the like that that this text of scripture would read more like that which proceeds out of the man is not what defiles him but the gun defiles him right the, oh the man come on defiles him the, yep. the the knife defiles him and if we can mm-hmm. just take those things away everything else will be all right yep they have a they have a, a messed up anthropology of man. They have an, an 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 unclear idea of what is actually at the root cause of sin in the in the human heart. And so, I mean, I I know we're reiterating that point, but I think it needs to be made so that our listeners and and those who you know those who who they send uh, those who they have conversation with 
they'll be armed with a bunch of tools, resources, places to go, text to scripture so that they can continue to, to, to make this point. This issue is not an issue of, 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 a, of a metal object. It's an issue of the heart, the hardness of one's heart uh, that needs to be turned from, from a, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. You're absolutely right, brother. And listen, that's the point I tried to make earlier. See, those people, they think that regulation is regeneration. I hope I was hoping you'd say that again. I was hoping you'd say that again for the purpose. And I, and I, I didn't want to repeat. I was hoping you'd say that again because, A, that needs to be a tweet. I'm hoping that Candace uh, pulls that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that our, our dear friend Candace pulls that particular line for for a quote that we tweet out because I, I, that's that's important, man. Especially well, like. Go yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, that, that this goes to your point earlier, what you were talking about just a second ago. They think the gun defiles us. They think the right. knife defiles us. They think the object defiles us. Right. When Christ makes it perfectly clear, the gospel makes it perfectly clear. This is why we need the gospel, because we're defiled from within. Right. We're defiled from within. And these people think, oh, let's just regulate. Right. And, and, and a, a, that's why I say it is fallacious to think that a reduction, even hypothetically, a reduction in the number of incidents is, is, is just absolutely fallacious. Uh, inherently that to, to say that the, a reduction in the number of incidents means that our society is better. Right. No, no, no. It's like I said earlier, earlier, a, a, a reduction in the number of mass murders doesn't mean that doesn't mean you, that that's translated into the, a reduction in the number of people who want to commit mass murder. Right. It's like the right. person in, in Japan uh, who probably couldn't get a weapon. Well, what did he do? He found another weapon. Right. right. He found another weapon. Right. Like, okay, can't have a gun. Well, I'll just use a, a knife. Right, and and furthermore, the idea that you're going to take uh, the a gun out of the hands of law-abiding citizens, and that those who have a desire to murder are going to obey that law when right. they, it's, it's, I mean, it's it's, it's anyway, it's, bro. Listen, yeah. there's a word for that. There's a fancy word for people who think the way you just described. Right. That word is dumb. <laughs> That's just dumb. Right, okay, right. I don't know other way to say that. I just right. don't know any other way to say that. You know, biblically speaking, okay, biblically speaking, murder and sin in general is always an attitude before it is an act. Okay, sin mm-hmm. is always an attitude before it is an act. We just saw this in Genesis 4, what we just read. God asked Cain, why are you angry? Hmm? Sin is always an attitude before it is an act. You know, the great Puritan John Owen put it this way in his book, Indwelling Sin in Believers. Owen said this, quote, whatever you are doing, the law of sin is always there. If it was only an occasional visitor, it might be kept out and dealt with. But the soul is its home. Men rarely consider what a dangerous companion is always at home with them. When in company, when alone, by night or by day, sin is with them. Mm -hmm. There is a living coal continually in their houses. If it is not seen to, it will set them on fire and may consume them. Oh, the sad security of poor souls. How little most think of this inbred enemy that is never absent. How little does the watchfulness of most professing Christians match the danger of their state and condition? Wow. Unquote. 
That was Owen from Indwelling Sin and Believers. Now, conversely, just in light of what we just heard from Owen, Spurgeon, I want to quote him again from a sermon entitled The King's Sharp Arrows. Okay, the King's Sharp Arrows. Spurgeon said this, quote, the law of God not only deals with the overt acts, but also with desires in which a man pictures the sin and feels a pleasure in the picture, though he has not actually committed the sin, unquote. Wow. Okay. So the reason these words of Owen and Spurgeon are germane to the topic we're discussing in this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast is that invariably, okay, invariably, whenever a mass shooting occurs, the knee-jerk and apoplectic reaction of many people, particularly those in the mainstream media, is to look to some politician or to some psychologist or some other so-called expert for answers to the question of why these acts of violence continue to occur as if the solution to the violence that occurs in society is society itself. Mm-hmm. They were rather focused on the act as opposed to the intent that gave birth to the act. But if the answer to the question of what is wrong with society was inherent to society, we wouldn't have these types of incidents to begin with. Right. I mean, to think that way is both misguided and naive in my opinion. You know, you contrast that kind of logic with what Scripture teaches. Proverbs 16, 2, for example, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs what? The motives. Amen. Proverbs 21, verse 2, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. First Samuel 16, 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And if I may take liberty here, contemporarily speaking, people would rephrase 1 Samuel 16, 7. They would say, uh, do not look at the height of of or, or the or, or, or look, do not look at his weapon or or the, or the heart rather they will reverse that and say look at the uh, weapon he used look at the gun look right. at the knife right. they would never say look at the heart mm-hmm. right they mm-hmm. never say they, they never say that at all I could cite many other texts okay I could cite many other texts that follow that same line of thought but my overarching point is that we as a society have to begin to view these incidents as God does as first and foremost being matters of our sinful heart. Yeah. Okay. Heart issues, heart issues cannot be solved by media pundits, talking heads, or so-called experts in human psychology, sociology, or anthropology. As as J.C. Ryle said something in his book, Holdenness, that I think applies here. J.C. Ryle said this, if a man does not realize the dangerous nature of his soul's disease, you cannot wonder if he is content with false and imperfect remedies. Mm, that's good. Listen, anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ is a false and imperfect remedy. Man, that's good. After all, it was Jesus himself who said in Revelation 20 to 11, let the one who does wrong still do wrong and the one who is filthy still be filthy. Listen, listen to me, my brothers and sisters. The only remedy for the disease of our soul and of our society is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else, nothing else will have any effect on the malady from which we all suffer. 
That malady is the disease of sin. It is that universal reality that makes Jesus' words from more than 2,000 years ago still relevant to us today. And those words are, you must be born again. Amen. Omaha, what you got, man? Man, I just, that's, that's, I don't know. There's not, there's not much more to say. Uh, that's, that's where we are. That's the reality of the thing. I mean, that's, that, that's the ultimate answer. We must be born again. We, we've reiterated the fact that this is an issue of the heart. We've reiterated the fact that we need indeed a savior, that there's no other thing that we can do but to bring the gospel into conflict with the culture, to, to bring the gospel into conflict with the ideas of gun control. There's no governmental solution. There's no, there's no p- political uh, uh, reality that's going to fix things. We have to rely on, on that which we've been given that changes the hearts of men, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I know that we've kept our listeners for quite some time on this issue. And I'm praying that they understand why it was necessary for us to dig as deeply into this issue as we did. But I want to close, uh, and I know you have some some closing thoughts to add here, but I want to close by quoting from the book, The Law and the Gospel by Ernie Reisinger. This is a recently released book Yeah, that I highly recommend folks get a copy of. It's called The Law and the Gospel. And in that book, Reisinger writes this, quote, If a person has experienced a saving knowledge of the gospel, he or she will undoubtedly evidence it by obedience of heart and life to the law in the hand of Christ as a rule of duty. I want to read that first sentence again. If a person has experienced a saving knowledge of the gospel, he or she will undoubtedly evidence it by obedience of heart and life to the law in the hand of Christ as a rule of duty. People can never perform holy obedience, and that's ultimately what we're praying for. Mm-hmm. We we don't want just, just we don't want just. It's like John the Baptist said. He said we are to do works in keeping with repentance. And yeah, not just do good works. You want those works to be motivated by a repentant heart. Mm-hmm. This is what Reisinger is saying. People can never perform holy obedience to the law so long as they remain ignorant of the gospel. Mm-hmm. But when they begin spiritually to discern the truth suitableness and glory of the doctrine of redeeming grace, they will then begin to perform spiritual and sincere obedience to the law of Christ as a rule. Mm. The consequence will be that he will sincerely and cheerfully desire to obey the law. He will yield disobedience not only because the authority of God obliges him and the love of Christ constrains him, but also because he discerns the beauty of the holiness of the law itself and loves it. Amen. 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 See, that's what no law can get, will ever get you. Right. No law will ever get you the holy obedience that Reisinger is talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. Thoughts on that, Omaha? No, man, that, that's that's a perfect way to close. That's a that's a high that's a high bar for us to to be thoughtful of, to think about, and to and to understand and know, to concentrate on, to contemplate uh, the beauty of the holiness of God. That's that's what we strive for. And uh, man, I'm I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we took the time. I'm glad that this is this is something that's in our our library. It's something. Here's the thing. This is this is an issue that that is you know risen because of two. Um, you know, tragic events that have happened in both El Paso, Texas, 
in Dayton, Ohio. I mentioned the the tragedy of the events that were here in in Omaha with uh, with one of our our families at church. <clears throat> but the reality is, this sh- this issue won't go away, and the reason that it won't go away is because evil still exists in the world. And as you've been saying over and over and over again, we've been saying over and over and over again. There is no law that will have an impact on the intent of the human heart that mm-hmm. that desires to murder his brother. And this is not this is not new. You went all the way back to to Cain and Abel from the very beginning to to show that that this has been in the heart of man from the beginning. And uh, there, there's no amount of law that's going to change the sinfulness of the human condition. But the answer that we, the believer, have is that we can share the message of the gospel that changes and transforms hearts and lives and ultimately leads to eternal life. And again, the high bar that you that you gave us with the final quote uh, that you gave from uh, from Reisinger's book, where, where it talks about that, that once we yield to the to, to his to this obedience, not only because of the authority uh, that God obliges him, but the love of Christ that constrains him, but also because he discerns the beauty of the holiness of the law itself and loves it. The reality is once our heart changes, our re- our attitude toward sin changes. Amen, brother. We begin to love the God that that calls us to righteousness and hate the sin that is mm-hmm. in the life of the individual. And so mm-hmm. now we've we've talked about that. We've got this now in our library for folks to not only listen to once, listen to twice, but revisit over and over again. And that's why I enjoy connecting with you uh, on, on Just Thinking, man. With that, we'll close here and uh, encourage our listeners to, to join us again for the next episode, the next edition of the Just Thinking podcast. Thank you.